For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclawschool.org. Today, I want us to, to take a look at another thing that we have to do if we're going to be prepared for revival, if we're going to get down the road to revival, we have got to do three things. Stop, look, and listen. That's what we have to do. Have you ever been driving and gotten lost? I know there's all, every man in this room is shaking their head no. You know, I'm, I'm the same way. I've never been lost. I've been powerful, confused for three days or so, but I've never been lost. But I think we have to ask ourselves is, you know, well, one thing I've noticed about myself is that when I get lost, I don't know if y'all do this or not, and maybe it's just me, but when I get lost and start trying to concentrate on where I'm doing, I turn the radio down. You ever thought about that? I'll turn the radio down. I mean, I call for silence in the car. Does anybody else do that when they get lost? I mean, there's, it has nothing to do with the radio. It has nothing to do with talking kids or, 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 or you know, things that impact my uh, situation one way or another. But I just have to have it quiet. For some reason, we think better when it's quiet. We reason better. We concentrate better. We hear better. And if we want to experience revival, if we want to experience real, true revival in our hearts, in the life of our church, we have to be quiet. We have to stop and look and listen. we got to be quiet. Now, I'm a type A personality. That's who I am, for good or bad. That's the kind of person that I am. And because of the, because of the strength of my flesh, I tend to want to help God out. You know, I'll give something to God, and then I'll go take it back. Or I'll tell God, I won't even give it to Him. I'll just hold it back and say, I'm going to try to take care of this, Lord. You take care of all the rest of it. I try to help Him out. The downside to my self-confidence, the downside to the, to the self-confidence of any person who's kind of that type A personality is that if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves looking to God as a last resort, not as the first option. We'll find ourselves doing exhausting ourselves first and then turning to God when it needs to be the other way around. I mean, I'm an, as long as it's not anything that involves mechanics, I'm an I-can-fix-this kind of guy. I can fix it. More often than not, however, I try and I fail. Because I'm trying to fix things in my strength. If it's, if it's a spiritual issue or, or, or an emotional issue, that type of thing, it's because God isn't pushing me to fix it. He's pushing me to have faith in Him to fix it. And I just kind of get the cart before the horse. I mean, standing right here right now, I can think of a dozen pastoral or, or personal illustrations of times when I've tried to help God out. And those have never really ended the way I wanted them to. And I don't know if that kind of makes you think about something in your life or not, but I suspect that it does. All the times that we try to help the Lord out, and it just never ends the way we want it to. Our flesh has a hard time admitting need. We're taught, we're raised, especially as Americans, not to depend on anybody else. We, are, we have that individual can-do attitude, and we don't rely on anybody else. We don't need anybody else. We're just taught that we shouldn't admit need. We see it played out in, every, in, in our lives every day. Think about it. Couples 
refuse to get counseling and they wind up divorced because they say they can fix it without intervention. Relationships between friends can become frayed because they think they can fix it by ignoring the issues. How about this? Churches will ride programs into the ground because they won't say, because they say that we can fix it, we can tweak it, when what God is telling us to do is to move to another area of service or ministry. We just don't admit that we need help. We ignore the issues. I think a lot of the hardest thing for any of us to admit is that we need help. The hardest thing for any of us to admit is that we need help. Admitting that we can't is the first step, though, to admitting that He can. Admitting that there is something we cannot do is the first step to God saying, watch me do it. Because there is nothing that God cannot do. We may reach things in our lives or in our professional lives, our personal lives, our church life, whatever it is. We may reach a point where we just can't do it. We can't fix it. There's nothing we can do to make it better. But God has never reached that point in any aspect of anything where he said, I just can't do any better than this. He is ready and willing and able to fix whatever is broken in our lives. David often found himself crying out to God for help. Didn't he? I mean, you look at the Psalms and David, a lot of the ones that David wrote are pleas to God for help. He was crying for help. Now, David was a decisive man. Man after God's own heart. Man that was, that was chosen and selected and ordained by God to be the king of his people. But throughout the Psalms, we often see David wrestling, don't we? We see him wrestling with so many different things. Why has God abandoned me on the backside of this desert? Why do my enemies seem to be getting away with, with the things that they're doing to me against the Lord? Why does it seem like God is not taking care of them? In Psalm 60, verse 1, as it begins, David said this, Oh God, you have rejected us. You have broken us. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land quake. You have split it open. Heal its breaches, for it totters. You have made your people experience hardship. You have given us wine to drink that makes us stagger. You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of your truth. I think if we'll read that over and over and over again, we'll see that David's words to us are piercingly honest. David was transparent in his pleas to God. God can always work with an honest person. Why? Because an honest person is ready to admit that they're not everything. An honest person is ready to, to look with authenticity and be genuine about our need, our desperation, our desperate need for God. God can always work with an honest person. In the first four verses of Psalm 60, we find the phrase, you have, listed eight times. You have. David clearly understood that the reason for Israel's initial defeat that he was writing about was the result of their unfaithfulness. God did not bless them in their battle because they were not faithful to God. That's what David was talking about, that God had gotten their attention by chastising them, by disciplining them, and by, by letting them experience defeat. 
God had gotten their attention. They tried to fight. They tried to win. They tried to conquer. Whatever it is they were trying to do, they tried to do it because they were the army of the nation of Israel. Not because God walked in front of them and around them, leading them and guiding them and ensuring the victory for them. And so God let them experience what it was like to battle in their own strength. In the next chapter, chapter 61, David talked about his heart being faint. He talked to God about his heart being, being faint. 2 Samuel 15 records the, the treasonous rebellion of, of Absalom, his own son, against him. Psalm 61 was probably written at about the time that Absalom rebelled against him and, his, and he had experienced a couple of initial victories against David's army. I mean, it looked, things were looking bad for David. Absalom was well on his way to conquering his father and taking over the kingdom of Israel. David cried out to God in his desperation. He cried out to God to hear his prayer. He says, hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will call to you when my heart is faint. Let me just stop there for a minute. He says, I'm at the end of my rope. My heart is faint. From the end of the earth, I will cry out to you. He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a refuge for me. A tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. You prolong the king's life. His years will be as many generations. He will abide before God forever. Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may pay my vows day by day. He was at the end of his rope. But did he despair in that? Not at that moment. At that moment he was calling out to God. He was calling out to God to do the thing that only God could do. To preserve his kingdom. He was calling out to God to give him the victory. David's heart was heavy. I mean, think about it. His own son had rebelled against him. His own son had raised an army against him. His own son was trying to, to take him out. To take his place. His kingdom was in ruins at the very hand of the son that he loved. As a father, that's got to be un unbelievable. To experience what David was experienced. Life had thrown him a pitch that was impossible to hit. Now look, now look, David would be the first person to tell you, and I will tell you too, that David was not a perfect parent. He was not a perfect parent. He was a man after God's own heart, but he had a rebellious and a self-centered son who broke his heart. But before we start pointing out all of David's faults, before we start taking ourselves on a list of, of the, long, the long list of the many things that, that King David had done, I think we need to remember that God, the perfect father, gave a perfect environment to our parents, Adam and Eve, and they still chose sin over sanctuary in God's garden. So that idea, that... that that willingness to walk down the wrong road is something that's ingrained in our system. It's ingrained in our nature. And it's something that we struggle against. 
But it is a supernatural fight that we fight, and we cannot fight it with anything other than supernatural weapons. We will never, never be able to defeat these enemies, these things that come against us in our lives. We'll never be able to defeat those things unless we do it in Christ. In Christ. When David asked God to hear his cry, to give heed to his prayer, the, the phrase that he uses carries the idea of hearing and also a desire for action. He wants God to hear him, but he wants God to do something about it. He wants God to take care of that. David wanted God not only to hear his prayers, but to act on those prayers. Is that, is that the way we pray? Do we pray that? Do we want God to hear it, but also do something about it? David was desperate. And in his despair, he cried out to God. In his being at the end of his rope, he cried out to God. In saying his heart was faint, David was acknowledging to God that he was overwhelmed. Now, God knew he was overwhelmed. God knew exactly what was happening. But sometimes I just think it's really important that we verbalize what's going on in our lives to God because that helps us make sure we understand it. I mean, that's just the way I think about it. I just think it helps, helps us to understand. God knows what's going on. God knew the position that David was in. He knew what his son had done to him. He knew the defeats that David had experienced. He knew these things. But David called out to him and said, I, I'm just, I'm not strong enough. My heart is faint. I'm not strong enough for this. I'm overwhelmed. He felt swamped by the circumstances that he was in. Although he knew he was God's man, that knowledge still didn't change the fact that his heart was hurting. He knew that God had a plan for him because God told him he did. He knew where he was supposed to be and what he was supposed to be doing. He knew that every time he had messed up in his life, God had picked him up and forgiven him and dusted him off and set him on the right path. He knew those things. He knew those things. But it still didn't change the hurt in his heart. And how many of us are at that kind of point in our lives or have ever been at that point where our heart just hurts? Our heart just hurts. And we call out to God. And God hears us. And no matter how many things are, are going on in our lives, it doesn't really change the hurt in our heart. Nobody can do that. But God, David longed to get above the battle to the rock. He wanted God to put him on the high ground. He wanted God to put him on the high ground so that he could see everything. That, where he was secure, where his enemies couldn't get to him. He couldn't get there on his own. He needed God to lead him to this high ground. He needed God to lead him to safety. In Psalm 62, David wanted desperately to hear from God. He knew what he had to do. Even though it was difficult for him to do. Because he was a can-do, take-charge leader. He knew what he had to do. So look at Psalm 62. We're going to begin in verse 5. This is our verse for today. And we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8 today. Psalm 62, beginning in verse 5. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest, the rock of my strength. My refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Man, does that sound like somebody who's defeated? Does that sound like somebody that doesn't know what to do and where to turn? 
No, that is, a, that is a prayer, a song, a calling of power to God. And a calling for His people to follow Him in obedience to God. In trust in God. For God to do what only He can do. David was facing a time of trouble. Listen, historically, realistically, David was facing a time of trouble that was so deep and so burdensome that he had nothing to say. He couldn't do anything to make it better. You ever been there? I know I have. You ever been there? He simply waited in, si waited in silence for God. He waited in silence. He stopped, he looked, and he listened. And he waited for God to do what God could do. No other counsel would suffice. He could call his war counsel together, his advisors together. No advice they could give was going to be sufficient to meet his need. The only advice, the only person who could meet his need was God. No remedy would cure the, his, the hurt in his soul except that God would intervene as his redeemer, as his refuge, as his protector, as his victor. And it's obvious that David wanted to remind himself as well as those who would read this psalm or, or later sing it that our faith should be only in the Lord. You can't read those verses and come away with anything other, any message other than our faith should be in the Lord. It doesn't matter what the world tells us our faith ought to be in. It doesn't matter what TV tells us our faith ought to be in. It doesn't matter what the news stories that we read tells us our faith ought to be in. It doesn't matter what our elected leaders tell us our faith ought to be in. Our faith ought to be in the Lord and the Lord alone. Because the Lord and the Lord alone is only able to bring the victory that we need. Too often, we put our faith in methods or programs or people, advice columns, horoscopes, even our favorite preachers. But it's God and God alone we must turn to. It's God and God alone. The advice of friends can encourage us in the moment. But so often, it really can't sustain us in the long haul. The only person that can sustain us over the long haul is the Lord God. He's the only one. God must be the chosen object of our faith. We must rely on Him, even when we want to find new folks who tell us what we want to hear. And yes, usually how we decide who we're going to listen to, right? Are they telling us what we want to hear? Most of us have a preferred news outlet because the way, they, the way they skew the news, and every news outlet skews the news, the way they skew it is something we agree with. So we watch that. A lot of times we'll listen to people. And a lot of times we listen to those, those certain people is because they tell us what we want to hear. A lot of times we don't listen to God because God tells us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. God tells us how things have got to be, not how we want them to be. And so a lot of times we'll, we won't give God the attention that he, that he deserves or that He commands because we simply don't like God's vision. We like our vision. And like we've discussed before, we can walk down the road in our own vision, but it's never gonna, the road will never end up where we, it needs to be. It will never end up where we want to be. 
We have to listen to God before we do that. God has got to be the chosen object of our faith. We have to be told what we need to hear. Just think for a minute. Just think for a minute about the things that you trust. Okay? What, what are the things that, that you trust? People? Objects? The things in your life that you really trust. Now let me ask you this. Are you placing your trust in something or in someone instead of God? Are we, do we trust things and the comfort that they give more than God? Do we trust people and the security that they provide more than God? Y'all, that is the textbook definition of an idol. Anything we trust more than God, anything that occupies the throne of our lives other than God is an idol. And one of the things that we've got to do, if we're going to experience revival in our lives and in our, in our church, if we're going to experience revival, we have got to sweep the idols away. Whatever those things are. We have got to get our focus where our focus needs to be. We've got to major on what's major. We've got to study. We've got to prepare. But we've got to focus. Focus. David, in these words... He was focused. What was he focused on? The ultimate victory of God. Whatever we're, look, whatever we're experiencing, I don't know, and since we've not been together a lot, I've, I've really kind of lost touch a lot, but I mean, I, I could never really know everything that's going on in your life unless you share it with me. I don't know the things that, that are going on in your life, the good things and the bad things. I, I don't know, you know, what's going on, but I know this, God does. God does, and He is more than able to handle anything that you can throw at Him. He is more than able to take what looks like a defeat in our lives and turn it into a stunning victory for the kingdom of God. He's able to do that if we will trust in Him and Him alone. David reminds us in Psalm 62, 8, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. What is a refuge? A place that you can go and be safe and be protected. That is a refuge. God should be our refuge. Everything else can be taken away. You can say, well, my home is a refuge. Your home can be taken away. People can say, my family is a refuge. Well, your family can be taken away. My friends, my friend, your friends can be taken away. The only refuge that we have that will, sustain, that will withstand each and everything that this world can throw at it is the refuge that is provided by Lord God. He's the only one. He's the only one. When God hides himself or seems indifferent to our, to our struggles, it's kind of hard to trust him. And being the impatient people that we tend to be, we want quick answers. We want simple solutions to life's difficult problems, don't we? Just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. Lord, I've got this problem. What am I supposed to do? Yes or no? We want God to answer on our timeline. We want God to, to tell us what we, want, what we want to hear. But sometimes God 
lets us wait, doesn't he? Doesn't God sometimes let us wait? So that we can grow a little more, so we can learn a little more, so that we are ready when he gives us the answer that we need. Let me tell you something, God is always going to answer. That answer might be yes, it might be no, it might be wait, it might be not yet, but God's always going to answer. We just have to be ready to listen. We want small bandages to cover deep wounds. Waiting time, though, is never wasted time. Waiting time is never wasted time, even though it may seem so at the moment. When I'm forced to wait, I'm forced to surrender my ideas, my timeline, my thoughts to the sovereignty of God. Just think, you've thought about it like that? When I have to wait, when I have to wait, what I'm doing is I am surrendering my agenda, I'm surrendering my thoughts, I'm surrendering my timeline to God. And God will deal with it in His perfect time. We just have to be willing to wait. Now I'm going to say something that's going to shock many of you here. I'm a talker. I'm a talker. I love to talk. And one of the things that I'm most afraid of is silence. I feel absolutely compelled to fill the silence. With something. A pastor wrote about a time when a friend was asked to, to be on a panel with a, a great writer and teacher, a great man of God, a great distinguished person. And he wrote to himself on his notepad, KQYD, which stands for Keep Quiet, You Dummy. Because there were people on this panel that were way smarter than him. And he wanted to remind himself that if he just stopped and listened, that he might learn something. And he said, you know what? I stared at that note the whole time I continued to talk. I saw a lot of myself in that. thought I would share that with you. I've been there and done that. And Psalm 46.10 is one of the hardest verses that most of us have when it comes to practicing. And I know, I know it is for me. Be still and know that I am God. Some translations say cease striving. Either way, what it means is stop and look and listen. Be still and know that I am God, God is saying. Don't strive. Don't do these things. When you've, got something that, when you've got something that has burdened you, when you've got something that you need a direction on, stop and look and listen. Let God talk to us. God is saying, let me talk to you. Let me guide you and direct you. Let me lead you. KQYD. Be still and know that I am God. Before writing those words of counsel from God, the psalmist writes about why. If you look at the passages before Psalm 46.10, if we think about it, it ought to be easy for us to be still and know that He is God. Let's just take a look at the first, the first verses of Psalm 46.10. If you flip over to Psalm 46. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. In the midst of her, she will not be removed. God will help her with, when morning dawns. The nations make an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. This is what God is doing. This is the destruction of the things that would stand against the people of God. And then he says, God says, be still and know that I am God. Look at your life. Look at the way God has blessed us. Even the person in this room that feels they are blessed the least is blessed in a way that most people in this world could not begin to imagine. We are blessed. God has blessed us. He has blessed this church. He has blessed us as individuals. He has blessed our nation. But a lot of times we don't get the blessing or we don't see what's happening with the blessing because we're not still and quiet long enough to hear God speak to us. The writer of this psalm is saying God has taken care of all of this stuff for us. And because of that, we should be still and know that He is God. And if God can and He will do all of that, if there is nothing beyond the capability of our God, and we really believe that, if we agree with the writer of verse 11 that the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold, if we believe that, if we agree with that, then why, why can't we be still and know that He is God? If it's real to us, why can't we be still and know that He is God? They say that silence is golden and talk is cheap. Speculation isn't even worth a penny. We can play what-if games in our minds until we drive ourselves crazy, but the games we play don't solve anything. And they really only serve to increase our anxiety, right? What if this, what if that happens? If we want to experience true and real an authentic revival in ourselves. And if we want to experience that revival as, as a group and we gather corporately in our church, then we've got to learn to stop and listen. We've got to learn to listen when God speaks. We've got to learn to pause long enough to breathe, take a deep breath, and listen to God as He communicates with us. God is talking. God is talking. But I, I will assure you, God is talking. He wants us to hear. He wants us to learn. He wants us to be renewed by His words. That's the relationship that He wants to have with His, with His people. He wants to show us by who He is and by what He has done that we are His people and He is our God. He wants to show us that. He wants to show others. A world that is looking, a lost world that is looking at the church, waiting for us to trip up, waiting for us to do something that they can jump on, waiting for us to do something that can, where they're unable to say, Aha! That's why I don't believe. 
They're waiting for us to mess up. But we have to continue being broken people that God is doing a remarkable work through. We have got to be a broken people that God has called to take the message of His gospel across the street, around the world. We've got to figure out where our Jerusalem is and our Judea and our Samaria and the ends of the earth. We've got to figure out what that is and we have got to go there and do those things. We have got to take the gospel to these people, these same people that despise us, that spit in the face of our faith. We have got to take the gospel to these people and say, I love you anyway. The God I love and serve loves you. And He wants you to understand who He is. He wants you to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. He wants you to experience the joy that can only come from a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants that from you. I saw someone wrote, I can't remember who it was, or I would certainly give it attribution, it wasn't me. But he said, if I am wrong, then I've just wasted my life. But if you are wrong, then you are wasting your eternity. We've got to tell people. We've got a message to give. There's, there are people who are, who are playing games with their eternity. And the church hasn't stepped up to call it for what it is. The church must respond. The church must be a place of love, a place of safety, a place where truth is spoken without apology. And loving people and giving people a safe place is not the same thing as agreeing with them in their sin. We have got to be able to say, I disagree with, with what you are doing with your life, and I disagree based on the principles and the precepts that my God has given me in His Word and through my experience with Him. He's told me that this is the way to go, that, this is the, that, that I have been convicted, I have been persuaded that He is able. Just like we sang this morning. To keep that which I have given unto Him against that day. We've got to be willing to bear the criticism because we stand for a Savior who will not be defined by this world. He has defined Himself. And we as Christians have believed and accepted and rested our faith on that definition of who, of who Jesus Christ is, the Son of God. My Savior, your Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the bright and morning star, whatever you want to, whatever you want to talk about, whoever, however you want to see Jesus, that is who He is and that is who He has said He is. That is who He has claimed for Himself to be. And we've got to take that and we've got to share that with a world that is, look around you, desperate to hear it. They may not know it, they may not understand it first. But the pain and the anger that has overcome us as a people is because there are people who are screaming out for something that is greater than themselves. They are calling out for, some, for someone who is greater than their problems. And that will never be the government. 
It will never be ultimately the church. It will be God. And what we do is we take that message. We as the church take that message. And we give it, and we give it, and we give it. But how do you get that message? Well, you stop, and you look, and you listen. How do you get revival? you got to stop. you got to look for God. Wherever He is, you got to look for Him. you got to call out for Him. Be desperate for Him. And when you have that encounter with Him, you have to listen to what He is saying. As we think about everything that's been offered to us through Christ, I guess we're forced to ask ourselves, why, aren't we? Aren't we forced to wonder why God has been as good to us as He has been? Why the mercy? Why the kindness? Why the grace? And the only answer is love. That is the only answer. For God so loved. For God shows His own love to us in this way. We love because He first loved us. Think about all of the references that God makes to love. Why does God do this for us? Because He loves us. Love of such magnitude that human illustration falls short. Love that is unconditional at its very core. With no hidden agendas. No fine print. Just overwhelming love. God's love is such that He accepts us just the way we are, but He refuses to leave us there. He refuses to leave us there. He is inviting us to have that kind of love, to accept that kind of mercy and grace right now. If there's somebody here who has been wondering why they're here today, there may be many of y'all that wonder that. But there may be someone in particular who's wondering, why, who's wondering what, what prompted me to be here today. Could it be that God wants you to know one more time that He loves you? That He sent His Son to die on the cross for you and for your sins so that one day you will fall on your face before that very cross and you will confess those sins and you will ask Jesus to enter your heart and to be your Savior and to wipe away the pain, to replace it with peace and joy Someone who is willing to fight those battles with you and for you. Someone who's willing to explain to you over and over again, day after day, that you were a person of worth and value who has been made in the image of God. And that God's got a plan for you. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. God's got a plan for your life. And it begins with accepting who Jesus is. Accepting Him as your Savior. Accepting Him as your Redeemer. Accepting Him as your friend. And saying, I don't want to live another day without Jesus in my life. Been on the other side of that. It's been sadness and defeat. Injury. I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to live another day without Jesus in my life. Maybe that's where you are today. And if it is, let now be the time. There's never been a better time to give over everything that you are to Jesus Christ. He will take it and He will not leave you in the same way He found you because of His mighty love for you. Father God, I just thank You for that love. I thank You for Jesus and I thank You for, for 
what he did on my behalf at the cross, God. I just thank you for everything that your word teaches us about who you are, how it calls for us to be still and to know who you are, be still and to know that you're God. And Father, <clears throat> we're so busy rushing places and doing things, and we're so busy with all the chatter of life <clears throat> that we forget to stop and to look for you and to listen for your voice. Lord, we know that you're ready to enter our lives and to do the things that only you can do in us. We know that you're ready to heal our land. We know that you're ready to, to raise the church up. We know that you're ready to give us revival. We know that you're ready to give us a, a clear path on the mission, Father, but we've got to listen for that. Lord, please, make our eyes bigger than our mouths. Make our ears bigger than our mouths. Help us to see you and to hear you, Father. Help us to be ready to go when you call. Help us to be ready to move when you challenge. Prepare our hearts, Lord, for the revival that you're going to bring when we are ready. Make us ready, Lord. Let today be that day in Jesus' name. Amen.